Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Siege, we have a lot to get to on this podcast. The very first one post Stanley Cup. But before I ask you all the questions for all the takeaways, how many hours of sleep have you had? Probably about three, and they were all in an airplane seat. So if I'm a little punchy or a little slow or whatever, however that manifests itself on this episode, you're going to get the raw, unfiltered stuff again because I'm not at my sharpest as we record this episode. I'm just glad I can see your pupils. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like a big night of partying. It's just by the time... You know, it, it was really cool. We were back on the ice with the, the, the team that won the cup, which is the first time since St. Louis won the cup in uh, 2019, you know, at TD Garden was the last time I did that. And it's literally my favorite night of the entire year. Everything I do is like getting to go on the ice right after a team's won a Stanley Cup. You see the family members pour on. There's tears, there's hugs, there's screaming, there's happiness, there's photos there's lots of swear words and i mean it's it's just such a release of emotion and let's face it winning at stanley cup if you're someone like andrew cogliano or eric johnson jack johnson you know the nazim kadri players that have been around the league a long 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 time it's a culmination of a family's journey plus their own journey and and so man that was it was invigorating to be there for that and you know by the time though you do those interviews you know, filed a story. Uh, it was maybe two thirty when I was leaving Emily Arena, and my flight was at seven. And so I made the executive decision to join some of the other reporters at a bar called Hat Tricks, which is a hockey spot, and they stayed open till four thirty. So uh, again, it wasn't like a big party because I didn't get there till two thirty, but it was uh, it was a nice way to cap uh, what was you know I think a great season in the NHL and certainly a great Stanley Cup playoffs. Who who are you kicking it with at Hat Tricks? Who who are the homies? Pretty much everybody, you know, Mark Messier was there. Chris Chelios was wow. there. Um, but obviously all my my reporting brethren, Pierre Lebrun, uh, you know, Kevin BX, Elliot Friedman, David Amber, um, you know, a whole group of my buddies. You know, I'm quite close with some Swedish and Finnish reporters that cover the NHL. They were all there. What was actually really neat, and, and I've become friends with them, but uh, our Terry Lekkinen's father, Ismo, does uh, television in Finland, and I, I've come to know him over these Stanley Cups. He's, he's done it. And, and, you know, last night, this was actually maybe the coolest thing. It was before I got on the ice. I came down with maybe 30 seconds left in the game. I came off the media elevator. I went into the area where we're doing there, and Ismo's there. And, like, he gave me this giant hug, and he's just like, what the fuck just happened? Like he just saw his kid win the Stanley cup, you know, Ismo's an old hockey coach and, and Arteri, as it turns out, scored the winning goal in the game as he did in overtime for the Habs to go to the cup final last year, overtime for the Habs to go to the cup final this year, scored a big goal. I know in the bubble for Montreal to, to get through the qualifying round, he scored two goals when he won a Swedish league title in 2016 with Forlunda. So, you know, Lekkinen, if you look at his professional career, doesn't score a ton, but when he scores, man, he makes those goals count. And, you know, to, to share that moment with his dad was kind of neat. And he was at hat tricks too. And then I said to Ismo, I was like, go to the avalanche party, man. Like, I think he, 
you know, it's probably a tough spot for him to be in because he sort of is a media member and, and obviously he wants to give his son space. But I was like, you know, you never know if this will happen again. And, and, you know, the Avs were partying at the JW Marriott, which is just up the street. And uh, he did eventually leave and go join them there. So I hope, uh, hope he had a good night because I didn't see him uh, this morning. Yeah, that, I, I like that. That's a cool. This is exactly why we do this damn podcast for stories like this. That is awesome to hear uh, the story with Ismo because uh, he got to obviously cover last year's final, too. And and, and our Terry like unfortunately did not work out for him the way that he would have wanted. But for him to just enjoy it on the ice, I think even this one, like he was taking his time. He didn't even join his son right away on the ice because he wanted him to celebrate it like that. That's I I, I kind of like that side story amongst all the celebratory uh, stories that have come out of the Stanley Cup final. Well, and get this. So Finland is an awesome hockey country. Like, like yes. it's legitimately the number one sport in that country. It might be the only other place on earth other than Canada where you can say it's truly the number one national sport. Before last night, there had only ever been 14 Finns that have won a Stanley Cup, like relatively few. And, you know, Arteri Lekkinen comes from Turku, Finland. Nobody has ever brought the cup to Turku, Finland. But get this, Mikko Rantanen and Arturi Lekkinen grew up together. So it's going to come with two guys the same age that played hockey together when they were 10 years old. They're going to both bring it there, I would imagine, on consecutive days. And, you know, for a hockey-loving country, it's such a big deal to, to, to bring it back to, to a town where the cup has never been. Um, you know, I think that that's so neat. You know, I was lucky growing up in Coburg, shut up. Coburg, you know, Justin Williams brought the cup there two of the three times he won it. And, and I just know when you're from a smaller place or, you know, something like Coburg has 10 NHLers, we had one lottery ticket and uh, it happened to be a good one because it was Mr. Game 7. So he managed to mm-hmm. get the cup back there a couple of times. Uh, and Steve Smith did actually in the 80s as well with the Oilers. But, um, you know, it's it's a huge deal. And and so I know Ismo was already looking forward to the, the big party he's going to have at his house on the island there in Turku. So let's get to the ice then. When you're on the ice and you're seeing all of the players celebrating the Stanley Cup, we know on the broadcast we're only able to see so much. And we can get into what Nazem Kadri said and some of the other stuff that was said. What was the – what's, like, the best thing you saw when you are on the ice? Coolest thing, notable thing, heartwarming moment? There's so many to choose from. Yeah. But one that stands out to me – I mean, the obvious one actually is – the, the first player, so when I walked on, the first player that I went to look for and grab was Nazem Kadri. You know, I decided I was going to write my story about him. And in the chaos of that, you really have to prioritize because at a certain part that, you know, the media were always welcome on the ice, but like you, you want to get your interview out of the way quickly. You recognize that the players are there to celebrate. Anyway, so, you know, talk to Nazem maybe for four or five minutes. And then we were there when his family came on, uh, his dad, Sam, his mom, Sue, his wife, Ashley. And they had a pretty cool, like when they first saw each other moment where they're jumping around the ice and hugging. But then, and, and so that one jumps to mind. But then another one I saw was like a little later on. And I just looked over at the side of the rink. And again, it's chaos out there. And Nathan McKinnon and his dad were just off to the side, just kind of like embracing. Like it was, it wasn't like jubilation. It was almost just like tender. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can't know. I don't know what they were saying to each other, but it was, Again, it, we, we celebrate it because it's a sport and, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of money at stake and this and that. But like at the end of the day, I feel like the Stanley Cup kind of is about the families or, or the people that, that put pebbles down in, in your development and helped you get to a moment where you can realize sort of the ultimate glory of, in, in the sport. And so 
you know, I, I would imagine that that's gone on in the McKinnon family for a long time for him to become one of the best players in the world. And that, that I don't know, it's, it sort of stuck out to me. But I mean, honestly, there's so many tears and, you know, people that are happy. I mean, Lekkinen actually like an hour after they won, he's still in full gear and skates on everything. He was like literally on his knees on the ice FaceTiming someone. I don't know who he was FaceTiming, but it's like, I think he was just exhausted. Like he couldn't even stand anymore. Um, and, and all of that stuff. And it, honestly, so then I go back and, and I'm basically in the bowels of the arena where the media room is. I'm writing my story. This, our colleagues are there. And, and we were there when the players, the Avalanche players started leaving to go to back to their hotel. And that was pretty funny. Like Landis Cog, like he's, he's got the cup and he's, he, there's certain reporters he knows. He's yelling in Swedish at, at Per Bierman, the reporter from Afton Bladat. He went to Henrik Schoberg. He's yelling at him. He's yelling at Peter Baugh from The Athletic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so much fun, man. It's just pure unbridled joy at the end of this crazy war of attrition. I mean, not to make it about war, I realize there's more, but it's it's such a physical challenge to to win a cup, right? Uh, we saw on both sides of this. I mean, when Tampa finally releases its injury list, I fear we're going to need like three pages to get through it all. Um, and, and, you know, you probably saw Val Nichushkin's foot that he, I mean, he couldn't walk out of the arena last night. They were wheeling him on a dolly. And Man. His, his foot looks gruesome and he played 23 minutes. Like what a beast. Uh, you know, Kadri's hand was mangled. Um, you know, he had a six week time frame for the recovery from his thumb surgery and he came back in two. He took one face off in that series because he basically couldn't and he scored one goal and it happened to be a pretty big one if you recall. So, I mean, I, I realize I'm all over the place here, but that's, that's actually, that's how you experience it. Right. It's just everywhere you look is just these awesome moments. Um, and it's funny, uh, even uh, Julian, one of the, I guess, I think it was the skill, skills or skating coach's son stopped me on the ice. He's like, love the pod. Oh my so, God. <laughs> Like and then among that, like some people recognize you, right? And want to talk to you. So um it it was really neat and my heart's full again. Like it I covered the two cups, right? I covered 2021 and that was close to normal because we were back in Tampa with where they eliminated the canes, it was a full building, but we didn't get that experience. We we weren't where the families were, we didn't get the same feeling for what was going on. And in 2020 in Edmonton, I was you know in, in the arena in the bubble, there was maybe 20 people in the in a big giant rink when Tampa won that first cup. It was like the quickest cup pass ever because there was there was no one to look at in the crowd really and, and, and cheer with it, right? So it was just like um anyway, that that was man, we're getting back to normal, man. We're gonna have a normal season next year. I'm I'm feeling it. I'm manifesting that in the universe because that's that's what I'm feeling coming out of this season. Don't apologize, by the way, for saying you're all over the place with describing what it was like on the ice, because I totally imagine if you're in that situation, that's what it is, because you're seeing such jubilation from everybody. And if you're trying to get a story together, like you're, you're all over the place. So that is that is as accurate of a description as you could provide. Right. And look, that, that was my 16th straight Stanley Cup final. Um, so, eh. You know, I've seen a few of those things. Like you always think back to, I'm, I'm telling you, it's my favorite thing ever. I mean, it's, it's so nice to see people win and be rewarded, right? There's, you know, the, so many great players pass through the game, unfortunately, and don't get a chance to win. We could go down a list, you know, it's relevant today, Daniel Alfredson, 
the Sedin brothers, you know, they played a game seven in 2011 and came out on the wrong end of it. Roberto Luongo. Roberto Luongo, like so many good people and, and great players don't get that chance. And so it's, it's hard not to get swept up in how beautiful it is to see people win, you know, and imagine being Nathan McKinnon, like all joking aside or, or what have you, like he's from Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia, the suburb of Halifax just happens to have been born, you know, a few years after Sidney Crosby, who's brought the cup back three times. They're next door neighbors on the lake there. Like you're competitive. Like there's a lot of pressure to, to, to do that. I'm sure internal pressure, you can see it with Nathan. He's such a serious driven guy, focused guy. And, and so it's cool to see him reach the top of the mountain and put his, his name in the silver edges of that cup. And, um, you know, we'll see if they can do it again. I mean, the avalanche have the pieces to, to be back there again and again, but there's a lot, there's a lot of work to be done this off season too. I want to eventually get to what's next for the Avs and the lightning. Obviously we got to get to David Bastel. We're going to touch off on the hockey hall of fame. And because it's Monday, we're going to get to ask CJ. There's, there's just one other thing I want to ask with on ice stuff before we, you know, advance the show a little bit. How long did it take until you had heard the quote from Nazem Kadri, which says the following for everyone that thought I was a liability in the playoffs. You can kiss my ass. I actually heard it before we went on the ice. Um, I didn't hear him say it because it was on the Canadian broadcast, CBC broadcast, and, and they were, we were playing the ESPN one when we were waiting to go on the ice. But I saw James Myrtle tweet it out and then, you know, quickly soon after a whole bunch of other people as well. And so it's funny because we asked him kind of to expand on that. He's like, I already said what I was going to say. So like, it was That's clear. it's fine. But, you know, that was our job. We had a chance to sort of advance that story potentially. And, and it's clear he wanted to get that message out there, but he didn't He didn't want to get into it too much more than that. Okay, that's fair. But, I mean, like, I mean, come on. We can kind of read between the lines here. There are a lot of people who thought the the old Dawson Kadri is going to come out and is going to get himself suspended and he ends up having a spectacular postseason and scores. We brought the game four OT winner. That's arguably the most important goal of this series because if that's a 2-2 series instead of 3-1 for the Avs, who knows what this looks like. I might be drinking pickle juice on Thursday. Right, and the hat trick against St. Louis, um, that'll stand out to me too in round two. I think that'll be remembered. I mean, he is a gamer. You know, I, I texted a bit with Dallas Aikens last night. He's an I'm Ducks coach, but he was actually Kadri's first coach with the Toronto Marlies back in the day. And, you know, he said – you know, I should have the quote in front of me, but he said something like his intangible is grit. He's a gamer. And, and, you know, he talked about his respect for the Kadri family. Sam Nazem's father has been a huge role model in his life. Sam never played hockey, but, you know, he, he immigrated to London, Ontario with his parents from Lebanon in the sixties. And, and one of the ways he assimilated the Canadian culture was to get into hockey. He actually became a Montreal Canadiens fan uh, and, and passed that on to, to Nazem when he was young and had this vision of Nazem you know, being a pro hockey player. And obviously here we are 800, 900 NHL games later and uh Stanley cup party is going to be had in London. I'm sure that'll probably keep people up late at night too. So, I mean, it's, there's so many threads that tie us all. And, and you're right. Kadri faced, look at some, of it was his own doing. Like we can't ignore the fact that, you know, he's, he's the one who crossed the line. You know, we, we might argue some of the suspensions were harsh or what have you, but I mean, he still put himself in a position to be suspended in three playoff series. He put himself in that position where the Leafs felt they had to move on from him. But, you know, I don't know exactly who that's aimed at. I don't know if it's sort of people like commentators and reporters that might have 
said it was time to move him or you couldn't trust him or if it's maybe more pointed at the Leafs organization that, you know, he didn't elaborate and I don't want to speculate. That's very fair. And with that, it's time to bring on David Bastel from Sports Interaction. As always, 19 plus, if you are wanting to play a Sports Interaction, we ask that you play responsibly. And there is a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. So now that the dust has settled with the Stanley Cup final, what's next for, for Colorado and for Tampa Bay? What's an easier team to tackle with that first? Do you, you want to talk about what's next for, for Colorado or do you want to talk about what's next for Tampa first? I think Tampa is probably the easier one to break down because, I mean, they have, in my eyes, one really big decision. Uh, and it's what becomes of Andre Plot, you know, who's been a player that had multiple, I mean, basically every big goal it felt like they had this playoffs was scored by him or most of them. Steven Stamkos had his moments too, um, certainly. But, you know, Pilat is a notable free agent and, and I don't know if there's a path to him staying there. You know, he's he's been a $5.3 million player. He, his numbers are still strong and his experience level strong. I'm sure that the man in the marketplace would be there, but he's also sort of born and raised the lightning. Um, you know, was was a seventh round pick, fourth from last draft pick in 2011 and has made the AHL team the next year. So he jumped straight from being a seventh round pick into the American Hockey League is unusual. I mean, usually teams let those players, you know, cook in junior or if they're, you know, in a European league, leave them over there for a few years and figure out what they have. Um, but, you know, he spent 11 years, almost all of it exclusively with John Cooper as his head coach too, because uh, John was with them in the, the AHL and then, you know, was part of bringing him up to the NHL. And so, I don't know if they could find a way to get this done. I mean, looking at it, it seems unlikely, impossible, but, you know, I, I think that there's a will there to try to, to make it happen. And maybe, maybe he's in the, the you know, the mind to give them a discount. Um, you know, one thing Julian Breesbaugh said actually at the start of the Stanley Cup final is he looks around his organization. He sees people that have sacrificed physically, sort of emotionally, mentally, but also financially, you know, because there are players on this roster that have taken less, than market value. I know it's a no tax state and there's, you know, some benefits for them there, but you know, they've, they've kind of built an organization players don't want to leave. And so I think Pilat is the big decision. You know, Nick Paul's a free agent who they traded for at the, at the deadline. Jan Ruta is a free agent. Um, you know, I, I see those players likely moving on. And again, I think in a perfect world, they'd all like to stay. It's, it's a great spot to play. It's a great team, but the hard cap forces hard decisions. And we've seen players leave the lightning each of the past couple of years because of that fact. Before we bring up what the Avs need to do, I have a question. Mm -hmm. So the Lightning, back-to-back -back Stanley Cup championships, they have a third consecutive year where they go to the final. Is that enough? And you can even add in the fact that they went in 2015 and they've been this dominant team for a while. Have the Lightning done enough in your eyes to still be considered a dynasty? Not at this point. I think they got to win one more. Um, they're so close though. Like I, I say that with respect, like I, I came out of this series with so much respect for those guys. Like, I don't know how, I don't even know how they pushed it to where they had a lead in game six. You know, they had a chance potentially to force a seventh game. You, you know, those guys are injured. I mean, half the bench at some point in the series had to go down the tunnel because they're blocking shots and getting treatments. You know, I, I saw Steven Stamkos walking out of Emily Arena, you know, you know, obviously looking disappointed, but also looking like, you know, he wasn't at full, you know, full percentage. Anthony Sorelli was 
barely holding it together. I mean, they didn't have Braden Point essentially from game seven of the first round on. I know he played game one and two of the cup final, but clearly wasn't himself. Um, you know, that group really willed its way to doing something, coming very close to doing something we might never see over the next 30, 40 years. I'm not sure we'll see any team win three in a row as long as there's a hard cap in place. Um, but I still think they need to win one more. I still think they can win one more. Wouldn't, wouldn't, would not surprise me at all if a year from now we're having this conversation and we're, we're down in Tampa at the cup final. Like I, I, I don't think they're going away. And that's, that's maybe an extension of the discussion we're having about the decisions they face this offseason. You know, I think probably the two biggest decisions after Platt are, you know, Mikhail Sergachev and, and Anthony Sorelli both are one year out from free agency. And so, you know, I think that you'll see them sign extensions potentially this summer. Um, and, and, you know, what that will do is it'll lock in place, you know, core members of the team into the future. And, and so obviously if some players are going to come and go, some guys will age off the roster or maybe price themselves off the roster. But I mean, this is a smart front office. It's a well-run team. It's got maybe the best owner in the entire league. Certainly Jeff Finnick is in the conversation for being among the best owners and it's a small group. And so I think they'll be back, but I'm not putting the dynasty on them until they win a third. See, there's, here's my thing with Tampa, though. As good as they are, I wonder it, how much everyone else in the Eastern Conference will actually catch up and put them at a point where they catch them off guard in the playoffs and knock them off. Like, I'm thinking of a Toronto, thinking of a New York Rangers. I'm even going to put Carolina in there. Florida, I mean, I know they had a terrible end to their year, but that's still a really good hockey club there. And I don't know, I don't know if you feel it too, but there's always something off about these teams who – go all the way to the Stanley cup final and lose like the, the hangover. We talk about the hangover after you win, there seems to be a weird hangover when you lose where it kind of affects how you play. I, I don't know if you read this, read it into the same way that I might be feeling, but I don't necessarily know if it's that clear cut for the lightning to make it back to the Stanley cup final for fourth straight year. That is incredible. If they do that. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm working backwards. I mean, we have Tampa in 2022 that lost, you have Montreal in 2021, you have Dallas in 2020, you have Boston in 2019, you have Vegas in 2018. Uh, it was 2017 Nashville or San Jose. I mean, it was those two teams, 16 and 17. You're right. Like no, none of those teams have made it back in the subsequent years. Um, you know, even if you go back to 2016, the only one where you have to all the way to 2015, which was Tampa losing to Chicago. And obviously they've since gotten back and won the cup. So you know, maybe maybe you're onto something there, but I also think Tampa was different than some of those cup finalists. And, and I say that with respect, but like Dallas and Montreal probably weren't the number two strong teams in the league those years. Just, Absolutely not. They got on a heater. They, they played ball defensively. They got great goaltending, maybe got some a favorable path through their, their part of the bracket. I mean, I'm not ripping on those teams by any means. I think if you get there, you get there. But, you know, they were maybe a little bit fortunate to get there, whereas I don't. I don't see Tampa as being fortunate in this case, really. I mean, the question is just how long can their key guys continue to be effective? Like at a certain point when Stamkos and Hedman aren't Stamkos and Hedman, maybe that becomes really hard for them. If, they're, if those guys aren't given making differences, you know, maybe Vasilevsky, I mean, he's still young, but he's played a lot of games. And, and you know, if he falls off, I mean, that, that's those are the things that hurt you, but they, they've just got so many players signed at the right number or even below value. Um, I, I can't see them falling apart by any stretch. Um, you know, they, they, they do strike me as a team that's probably not winning the Atlantic division in the regular season. Like I think that they'll, they'll conserve to a certain degree, but no one's going to want to face them when it comes playoff time. 
Absolutely not. And they don't, they don't need to win the Atlantic division. They proved it with how they played this year. What about the avalanche? Unless there was a thought you wanted to say with the, with the lightning. I don't mean to cut you off. I just was going to say they started all four series on the road. So, I mean, that's, that, that says something there and they got to the final and, you know, the, the margins weren't that big in this cup final. Like, like Colorado was definitely the better team deserved to win, but you know, Tampa lost two games in overtime and they even lost game six, two to one. Now they, they had nothing left in the third period at four shots on goal. They didn't get the first until halfway through freedoms from center ice. So, you know, credit to the abs, they shut that game down, but you know, the lightning were one bounce or one more power play or whatever, potentially from winning or getting it to seven. So, um, you know, pretty remarkable run by them. I think when it comes to Colorado, there's just so many question marks. Let's just start with the fact they have three of their, not the highest end forwards, but three of their top forwards and Andre Burakovsky, Nazem Kadri and Valerie Nichushkin, uh, who are all free agents. I, I think at this point, it's clear Burakovsky is going to test free agency. He's likely gone. Uh, you know, not because he doesn't like it there, but it's just, it's just so much money to spend and a great opportunity for him maybe to go and be signed to get more minutes on a team that isn't as deep up front. Um, the Kadri one's going to be a really close call. You know, this one strikes me where there's a will, there's a way. And based on what I can tell, there's a will from Nazem Kadri to, to want to stay in Colorado. I believe he really does want to stick with that team if it can work. But, you know, we've talked about this before. If he hits the open market, I think he's getting seven years from another team. And I think it's seven to eight million a year, maybe even a little bit more depending on where the bidding goes. Uh, and so I don't see how Colorado can make that fit. And so they're going to have to get creative. I mean, maybe they give him eight years. It might sounds crazy. He's going to be 32 at the start of next season. So there'd be huge risk in that. So, you know, I, I don't know if they'll be able to get it done. I do think that Chushkin though is likely to be back. You know, he, he loves it there. He, he's a beast. I mean, we talked about him being injured with his foot, but you know, he scored four goals in the cup final series. He had his best year production wise. You know, he's such a, a big, powerful skater. Uh, so I think he fits in really well with the system. And, and he's a little bit younger than Kadri, right? So, you, you know, if you're signing him a bit longer term, you're buying more of, more of the years that you can expect positive value back from. So, you know, I, I, I do think one of those three guys is back for sure of those forwards, potentially two. Um, but, you know, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a hard decision between business and heart for Nazem Kadri because, you know – I think reasonably he can earn more money on the open market, but I know he loves it in Denver and he's, he's found a really good fit with the avalanche. And all those players you're talking about, that's who they have to deal with this year, because uh, there's one guy who's really happy about his Stanley cup. Who's going to eventually want some more money on top of his contract that he still has to run out to this point, And that's Nathan McKinnon. Right. And that's, that's probably the biggest piece of business. He can sign that contract as of July 13th. I'm told the plan is still for the abs and, and his agents to sit down you know, probably probably let the hangover wear off here for a couple of days, but but sit down and and you know early this summer and hammer out what his next extension looks like. You know, Nathan McKinnon's previously indicated in interviews that, you know, obviously he's been probably one of the most positive value players consistently the last three or four seasons. I mean, making six million and change and performing like a guy making twelve or thirteen million. Um, you know, that's that's a huge reason why the Avalanche have become the team they are. And, you know, that's going to expire. I don't know how much of a discount he's going to give them. He's sort of made it sound like, you know, he wants to be paid fairly, but it, he's not going to push it to the limits. But I think he could make a case to even pass McDavid if he wanted to. 
Um, keeping in mind that McDavid signed that contract years ago. So based on percentage of cap and, you know, if you're projecting out the cap's going to jump, you know, significantly during the time that this contract will run, I, I don't think it would be crazy for him to ask for 13 million or 13 and a half million. Um, but I, I'm not sure he's going to do that. So, you know, that, that'll, that'll sort of set them up for what we see in the, the season starting 2023 and beyond. Um, but you got to do that. And then they got to figure out a goaltender. If, if Darcy Kemper hits the open market, they have all those depth players I mentioned that, okay, maybe you retain one or two of them, but if you don't, you got to be finding, you, you have to have internal depth. I mean, obviously the Avalanche are hoping Alex Newhook can, can grow into a larger role in the team. You know, he's part of this team. Um, yeah, I think Bowen Byram had a great series um, did. in the cup final and, and sort of showed you, cause he's very young too, that he's part of a really bright future, but you know, he's going to need a new contract. So man, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces there. They do have they do have cap space, but it's going to go quickly because you know these these players have all earned raises. Uh, last thing from Colorado before we move on to other topics here, we managed to go through however long of us recording the show, and we didn't even get into the postseason that was for Kale McCarr, who ends up ending the postseason as playoff MVP. Uh, the only other guy to have won uh, playoff MVP before his 24th birthday, Bobby Orr. Like we're at a point now where we can have Kale McCarr and Bobby Orr in the same sentence. I think that is one of the coolest storylines that has come out of this postseason. The fact that Kale McCarr is on pace to be the revolutionary, this revolutionary, this amazing offensive minded defenseman who can defend very well, too. Uh, but just Kale McCarr just being this outstanding, great player. What a treat to watch this guy do his thing. And, and, He's so humble too. So he seems like such a nice kid and, and great family. His parents were around here for the, the cup celebrations. I mean, man, I wish we had a saw that Olympic tournament. <laughs> Not to like make yeah, this me so too. Weird, but like we could have like Kale McCard on Team Canada with with everybody. I mean, you you know the names, you know what I'm talking about. Like, oh yeah. Would have just been a sick team. Um, and he had a ridiculously good playoffs. I mean, there, there is no limit to what he can do. Like, I, I think he's the best defenseman in the world already. Uh, you know, that that might be a little too soon to say that. I don't know. Maybe you, you think some, he's got to knock off a, a Victor Hedman or, you know, guys who've been there and, and getting nominated for the Norris every year. Um, but McCarr just had a special playoffs. He just goes for it. Like, I've never seen a guy quite play like that. Like, there's maybe some shades – a peak Eric Carlson in, in that the way he's able to, to really control a play and so much flows through him. But I mean, the, the plays he made, like some of the stuff that just goes unnoticed the way, he, like you, he'll, he'll get the puck in his own zone. Like it's, I was asking a bunch of the former players hanging around, like nobody, nobody had a comparison for him, like a true comparison. Like, you know, I asked some of the former NHLers, like, was there anyone in your day that kind of reminds you of this or that you saw? And like, I, I didn't get one answer. And, and, you know, I didn't see Bobby Orr play. I know he revolutionized the position. He's one of the all-time legends of, of the sport, but I, you know, I can't make that comparison myself just because I, I didn't see him play. And I think so much time has passed. It's a different game, but, you know, we might be seeing McCarr revolutionize his position again, or, or, or being the next part of the evolution of what we ask a defenseman to do or expect him to do. And, and, you know, it's pretty crazy what he's, you know, he needs to build a new trophy case. Like, the last week has been insane. A Norris, a Cup, and a Conn Smythe. Like, that's Hall of Fame type stuff right there. And you're 23 years old. 
Like, like it's nuts. It's ridiculous, man. Like, ridiculous. And seeing, it, yes, it is. He is very much deserving of the honor of being ridiculous because the speed on the ice, the way he's able to cut through a defense if he wants to, his ability to handle the puck. Like I like just one of the best things about seeing Kale McCarr do his thing is when the Avs just are in the offensive zone and they're cycling the puck around and Kale McCarr has the puck and he's holding on to it and he's trying to just see, all right, well, do I want to shoot? Do I want to pass? And the way he's just handling the puck, like he has, he has the best handle of any, I know we use that term for basketball and how we look at point guards. He has the best handles of any NHL player I think I've ever seen. He's just so fun to watch. In that it's like respect. he's got it. It's like got a yo-yo, right? Like he can just move exactly back and forth, and like it's like it's wild. Like he might score like thirty-five or forty goals one year uh, as a defenseman. You know, like I, I, I again, I don't want to even put a ceiling on him. I don't even want it. Like he could get a hundred points. Like I, I, I think anything is possible. Like Paul Coffey, Brian Leach numbers are in this guy's future, and uh, and his present is, I mean, he's just an awesome player. So. Um, it was yeah, it was pretty cool to see him him win too, and you just can't help but wonder like all the great things still to come. Like that resume is just starting, and it's starting at a pretty special place. And the Colorado Avalanche, if they're able to get everything together in terms of signing guys back and putting together a good team, we may very well be at the beginning of their true power in the National Hockey League. But at the very least, they can say they are the Stanley Cup champions of right now in our year of our Lord two thousand. In 22. And you know what that means, Siege? Uh, you uh, on Thursday have to provide your stick taps en français, s'il vous plaît, monsieur. Hoy, c'est dommage. <laughs> c'est dommage en, en Chris. <laughs> My heart right. so poor, but it, I, got, I got a couple days. I got to get some sleep before I have to do that. I can't use that part of my brain right now. Yeah, at the very least. Okay, let's move on to uh, another big uh, announcement that was uh, made on uh, Monday. The Hockey Hall of Fame Class of 2022. Uh, just going over some of the names. Herb Carnegie uh, will be entered in as a builder. Uh, probably the best black player to have never played in the National Hockey League. Daniel Alfredson, uh, Mr. the best Ottawa Senator we've ever seen. Roberto Luongo, we mentioned his name earlier. Uh, Rika Salonen. Uh, one of the best women's players to ever play the game, a three-time European champion, also a silver and a bronze medalist at the Olympic Games. Or actually, no, just a bronze medalist at the Olympic Games, two bronze medals uh, within 20 years of each other uh, for Salonen. And the Sedin twins, both of them making the Hockey Hall of Fame. So uh, six will be entered in the upcoming class. Uh, what are your thoughts on these six names? Well, remember, it's, it's a dual class in a sense because 2021 wiped out you know, adding a new class of, of players. And I think that makes this one stronger just by necessity. I think it's about time for Daniel Alfredson. I think it's really cool that you're going to have three Canucks, you know, that were part of those great teams in Vancouver and Luongo and the Sedin twins going in together. You know, it's uh it's, it's a stacked roster. And I, I, I don't see anyone could really quibble with it. I mean, I guess you might say someone like Alex McGillney should be in there ahead of, you know, a certain player. I guess that's maybe the quibbling, but to me, these are all no doubt Hall of Famers. I don't know why it took so long for Alfredson. That one always confused me. I mean, it's a hockey hall of fame. The guy competed in five Olympics and, and also had a you know marvelous career. It was a franchise cornerstone for a new, you know, a newer team at the time in Ottawa. 
um, you know, won a Calder Trophy. So, you know, he had individual success. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's going to be a cool night, I think, just with, you know, having three Swedes, having three former Canucks, um, you know, having a, a female player from, you know, not Canada or the U.S. and Salonen, which is a first. Um, and obviously a great honor for, for Herb Carnegie's family. You know, he passed away years ago, but uh, I think it's, I think it's a solid class from top to bottom. And, and I, I don't, I don't have any, there's no part of me going like, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Like I, I, they're all no doubters to me. Absolutely. Did you notice over the last few days heading into uh, Monday's announcement, the uh, I guess the uprising in, in attention to the hashtag Alfie to the hall, it seems as if the Ottawa senators fandom were making their voices heard saying, you know, Hey, we hope Daniel Alfredson makes it. And I was trying to make the case for myself over the weekend. I mean, look, I, he represents represented the city so well, but I was trying to think like, does he deserve to be a hall of famer? And I came to the conclusion that yes, because of the points he was able to put up because of his success internationally as well, because of what he meant to the market as well. I, I, it made sense to me to have him in the hall of fame. So I'm glad they at least got that right. Yeah. The sickos in Ottawa, you know, the, the fan base rallies around that. Like they, they're kind of the little team that could sometimes, but, but they got a really powerful social media uh, following a lot of loyal fans and, you know, they might've played a role in it a little bit. Cause I, again, I'm, I'm a little confused on the timing. Like I think this was maybe the fourth time he's been eligible. Um, it's been a while. Specifically, I mean. It's been a while. And, and, to me, he he always it was clear he was going to get there. So, you know, really one of the players I covered early in my career, Julian, that I have a ton of respect for. Um, I mean, I really have a respect for all the Sedins and, and Luongo as well. But, you know, living in Toronto, I, I was around Alfredson more. In fact, the very first game I covered in the press box for the Canadian press was during the 2002 playoffs when Alfredson hit Darcy Tucker from behind in game five and scored the winning goal right after, like a total villain move. Uh, and I actually once during the awards in Vegas, I once had a chance to have a drink with Alfie and uh, I brought that up and he was saying it was like, for him, it was like one of the favorite moments of his career too. Um, you know, cause he, he really was back in those Toronto Ottawa series. He was sort of painted as a villain. I'm, I'm not sure it's entirely fair. Cause when you know him, he's a really gentle guy. He's done tons of great work off ice for, for mental health causes, you know, really is, is not not your typical villain but in in the hockey context he he played that role well what year was it where alfred said made fun of his uh, fellow swede uh, max sundin when he chucked his stick into uh, the crowd and alfredson acted as if he was going to do it but he didn't do it i'm trying to remember what year that happened it was the same era right it was when you know yeah. the Leafs and senators seemed to play in the playoffs every year and and so there's the heightened rivalry thing going on and and uh, it was, you know, I, I can't give you the year, but it's somewhere in that like 01 to 04, 05, 06 kind of timeline. And, and you know, the Senators were, were rising then. You know, that team, 2007, they, they, they could have won the cup. Um, they, got, they got to the final and ran out of juice. But uh, when, when you had Alfredson, Heatley, and Spezza on the line, I mean, that it, that was as dynamic as it, it went for, for two seasons there in Ottawa. And, and so, you know, I, I, I do think Alfredson is a Hall of Famer. I, I just – to me, a Hall of Famer, like some of it is numbers, right? Some of it is feel like, was this person, you know, are they what we're talking about Kale McCarr right now? Like, I'm pretty sure Kale McCarr one day will be a Hall of Famer. It'll be many years in the me future. Too. But we're going to say like he he was the best at his position and he changed the way players did this or that. And then, you know, some of it is sort of narrative based, frankly. And like, 
Alfredson was the going concern on, on the Ottawa Senators. He was what made them relevant. He did it for a long, long, long time. He has the numbers. He has the international experience. Um, you know, that's, I think it's some sort of combination of that. You know, it's, it's not a perfect, you can't just put in a computer and spit out a formula um, because some, some players might accrue the numbers, but not really have ever felt like a Hall of Fame, right? For me, he feels like one and, and it's going to be cool to see him get inducted in November. And what about the Sedins? I know a lot of people were wondering if if the Sedins were were worth putting in together, considering what they were able to do together. Obviously, with their one franchise, uh, just I I think it's just uh, like it, they're they're special tandem. The fact that they've been just jo- almost joined at the hip, pretty much since they were drafted by Brian Burke. Like I I, I really enjoyed watching those two do their thing. Uh, in Vancouver, and of course with Roberto Luongo between the pipes and him getting the job done at the 2010 Olympics, that will always stand out for me when it comes to Roberto Luongo on top of his tweets and other nonsensical stuff that he's done over his career. But to see the Canucks be so well represented, that is really cool to see. Well, it was a great team. It's fitting. I mean, if they didn't get the injuries they got in that series against the Bruins, maybe they win. I mean, they got to game seven. Uh, they, They had certainly every chance to get it done. Um, you know, the Sedins, it's a crazy story, right? Twin brothers drafted second and third overall to the same team. At one point when, when I, when they were playing, I remember I went and used like the natural stat trick, you know, time spent with a teammate tool. And, and I didn't, I don't think they, they had ice time for their whole careers, but what they had, like they'd spent like 93% of their time on the ice at the same time. Like it's an insane ratio um and then to go into the hall of fame together it only feels right you know it's 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 maybe a disservice that we just refer to them as the sedines right it's almost like they're a singular item but of course there were two players but you know they they played a possession style in their era that that has become more common now but they were doing it beforehand right they would set up shop in the offensive zone and knew where each other were going to be and cycle around and and you know, twist defenses into knots and create scoring opportunities that way. And, you know, they, they each won an individual uh, MVP award during their career. And so, yeah, like it's just special, special careers. And again, humanitarians off the ice donated tons of money to, to charitable hospital foundations in Vancouver area. They still live there. Um, you know, I think it's actually going to be really neat to see them everyone going together. I think we're talking about the emotions of the cup final. Those will be different kind of emotions, but you know, it'll be, it'll be pretty cool seeing all the old Canucks come out. I'm sure we'll show up for, for that one. Absolutely. And I encourage everyone uh, who might not be as familiar with uh, Rika Salonen to check her resume as one of the most decorated women's players to ever do it. We're talking about a two time bronze medalist, at the Olympic Games and a three-time European champion uh, also has won a silver medal for Finland at the World Hockey Ch- at the World Hockey Championship. Uh, just did, I, I didn't know anything about them before the announcement, and I took the time just to, to look her up a little bit before. What an incredible resume! Even if they don't have a gold medal at the World Championship or at the Olympics, we're talking about one of the best women's players. We're talking about one of the best hockey players. Period. I think she is the oldest. Uh, player from Finland to win a medal at the Olympic Games, uh, uh, surpassing uh, the record previously set by uh, Timo Solani, actually. Right. In the top level, the women's sport has been so dominated by Canada and the U.S. historically. It's been hard if you were a player from Finland or Sweden or Russia to to win the the kind of medals you're talking about. And so, 
Uh, you know, if you stack it up against a Canadian's player's resume, you know, from from that era or American Cameron Granado, or you know, it doesn't look quite the same. But I, I think context is important when you're judging that. And and you know, you're talking about one of the pioneers in a country that's that's still finding its way, you know, at the top level with women's hockey. Absolutely. And also that goes for Herb Carnegie, who, again, I mentioned it off the top, the best black player to have never played in the National Hockey League. He has endured his share of racism. There's an alleged story that went around uh, when he was just uh, perhaps maybe on the cusp of making it to the NHL. But uh, the Leafs owner, Clint Smythe, this was an alleged story that, uh, you know, he would have wanted him on his team if he was white, may have even wanted to pay out $10,000 to have someone turn him white. Again, that's an alleged story that seems as if in terms of the telling of it, there may be uh, some errors and, and, and some inconsistencies there, but that is an alleged story that has spread around with him. But he is someone who is known for creating hockey schools to develop players uh, from, from his time being around the game, eventually named to the Order of Canada as well. Got to play with a young Jean Beliveau when he was playing in Quebec as well. He is someone else whose story is should be worth your time. If you could take the time to look up the story of Herb Carnegie, do that as well. I think everyone in this Hockey Hall of Fame announcement is deserving, but it was I, just for me personally to see Herb Carnegie's name be mentioned, even as a builder, it was really nice to see him mentioned among those six. Absolutely. And with that, it is time for Ask CJ, where we take in questions uh, from uh, the Twitter world, the Discord world as well. We're going to take a few uh, from all of you. Thank you all so much for sending in those questions, by the way. Let's get started with Sam S. from MTL. Gee, I wonder what team he might support or he what team he might be interested in. Uh, what's going on with Josh Anderson trade situation? The Canadians are listening. You know, I think that they don't have to move Josh Anderson, but, you know, they also don't feel maybe that they need to keep him because, you know, his his age, we, you know, it's not quite the same as the Terry Lekkinen one because Anderson signed long-term, did sign a big deal after the Canadians acquired him from, from Columbus originally. But, um, you know, he's a player that's drawn a fair amount of interest from around the league uh, because of how he plays, um, you know, I think teams look at him and think that's that's the kind of guy you want in a tough game in a playoff series um, because he's he's big and physical, gets in on the forecheck, you know, puts up a little bit of offense for you. And so I I don't know. It's it's hard to assign odds to the likelihood he's moved. It's definitely possible, but it's not it's not like that they feel like they have to get him off the roster. It's more I think it's in this case, it's more of an indication of the interest teams have in him versus Montreal trying to, to sell him. Next question from Sororkin Fan Club. Does the Trots news from Friday make his dismissal from the Isles look better in retrospect? Lou might have sensed Barry was burnt out. Well, look, my understanding is Lou Amarello and Barry Trots have a great relationship. So, you know, I, I think that it was a very difficult season for Barry. You know, he left the team at one point. His mother died. You know, that dealt with COVID situation. And I, I just think it's, look, it's, it's a really demanding job. And, and remember, you know, Paul Maurice stepped down from the Winnipeg Jets and, and was quite open about sort of signs of burnout that he was feeling. You know, it's, it's been a challenging time in the pandemic. And, and you look at guys like Trotz and, and Maurice, I mean, they've been coaching consecutively in the league essentially since I was a little kid. So, you know, they, they've been, they've, they've done this a lot and, and, um, you know, maybe it does make it look better. I think also they really like Lane Lambert with the Islanders. And, and I think he would have been a candidate for other head coaching positions, 
know, had they not made that move. And so I, I think it's a combination of, of both. And, you know, I, I don't know that it's a bad move by the Islanders and certainly maybe it's, it's a blessing in disguise for Barry Trotz because he's does appear he's going to get more time to step back from the game. I know there's still an offer on the table to join the Predators front office in some form. You know, he, he hasn't made a, a call on that just yet, but it seems like his inclination is to, to take some time to, to be with his family and, and, you know, get to some other projects and the like, and, and then, you know, maybe return to coaching down the road. Let's take this next one from Harry Wright, 19 OT. With Sens president Anthony Leblanc saying Sens have free will to spend up to $76 million this season on players, who's the most likely target for a big acquisition? Well, the one you want me to say, I think, is Claude Giroux. You know, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Oh, I'm not, try- I'm not trying to say – I'm not trying to put it in your direction, but uh, if you're going to put his name out there, I mean, why not? Well, he's got deep ties to the Ottawa area, of course. You know, I don't know if they're going to be able to get him. I think Claude Giroux would prefer to stay in Florida, you know, after the, the trade there from Philadelphia. Uh, he was comfortable there. He liked it. We'll see if, if there's a, a deal to be made that makes sense for him. You know, Ottawa's got some needs, though. Um, and, you know, they're, they're in the middle of restructuring their, their front office a little bit, hiring a new assistant general manager. You know, I think maybe water settling with the, the board operating the team, you know, since Eugene Melnick's passing. And, you know, I, I don't know that they're out there. I wouldn't say they're going to be bidding for like the top five guys on all these free agent lists you're going to read in the next two weeks. But, you know, the, the secondary market should offer them some, some players and, you know, they, they can't have a repeat of this last season. So, you know, I think they're going to have to spend money and bring in some trusted veterans and, and try to get better that way because, you know, there's, there's, a fair amount of expectation growing around that group that, that they need to have a breakthrough and move forward. From Florida man, Matt Maroon off discord. What is in CJ's ideal burrito? Love it. Um, well, beef, cheese, some sort of salsa, mm-hmm. basically nothing healthy, like sour cream, <laughs> a little avocado or something like that. Like some, some, you know, corn, something like that. Um, I can't say I eat a lot of burritos, but I, I, I appreciate the, the, the burrito. Um, uh, but the key is the beef and the cheese for me. Um, but yeah, do you got any good burrito spots in Montreal for next week, Julian, or what? Cause we're, we're that's coming a, to town. That's but. a very great question. There's one place that whose name has literally escaped my mind, but I know it's near Mount, Mount Royal Metro. And as soon as I figure out what that name is, I will mention that name because like that's a, I went there once and it was probably the best place I've ever gone for a burrito. So I'm, I will find that name like ASAP because that was a really great place. Uh, I imagine with the, with the contents of your burrito, you're eating that after you go on your daily run. Yes. A burrito is not a run friendly food. Like it's not, that's not, that's not fuel for the run. That's a reward for all the work you've done. Oh yeah, that's f- if if you eat that before, that's fuel for you. You know, just farting the entire run. He's <laughs> uh, passing gas the entire time. Oh, we're in the ditch. The we're in the ditch. Oh man, take it next week. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be in town. So uh, does does that mean we get to do a show in person? Or I don't know. We 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 got to figure out the Thursday show, right? That's gonna be a crazy show because it's the first day of the draft. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have the second day because it's the eighth 
or do I have the calendar in front of me? Is I that think it's Thursday the... and Friday, the draft in my head. Okay. Yeah. I'm stupid. So the seventh is the Thursday. So it's the first day of the draft. So yeah, that, that is going to be a hectic day. So we'll have to figure out how that all goes down. I'm going to, I know I'm going to take a run out Mount Royal. Yes. And you know, I love doing that when I'm in town, we're going to have the SDP appreciate fan appreciation event. Yes. On the Friday. That's on the 8th. I think there's like a staff meeting there or something. Do we have a lunch? I don't know. It's it's weird. Like Steve Dangle and Adam Wilde are our bosses, man. I think they're they're calling an all hands meeting. Maybe to who knows what. Hopefully, we're here still around next season. So uh, just so you heard it here first, there may or may not be a, an episode in person of the Chris Johnston show next week ahead of uh, the 2022 NHL entry draft. Uh, final question for Brett Shark back. Uh, in light of uh, Nicolas Obekubel uh, damaging the Stanley Cup, what's your favorite Stanley Cup getting damaged story? It might be that one, really. I mean, Seriously. I remember it was the Washington Capitals that like bent in the bowl because they were all doing keg stands on it. So they, they had to, they had to they, they had to ban keg stands on the Washington Capitals tour. I mean, has any team in recent memory more openly partied with the cup than the Capitals? Like they those those guys went to town after that cup. Um, but I love the, all the pictures going around of like all the ass players being like, like, like every, it was like a moment frozen in time where he smashed the cup. And I actually saw Mike Bolt and Phil Pritchard on the ice, two of the cup keepers. And they were like, oh man, they've had it for a friggin' <laughs> we've had it for five minutes and it's already smashed. But you know, let's face it, that it takes some abuse every year. It goes back to the silversmith and gets repaired. And, um, you know, I think it was an accident. It was an innocent mistake, but yeah, probably the Capitals keg stands cup or, or even that one last night. It's that one's going right to the top of the list. Cause it's during the celebratory photo. And the fact I saw the cup keepers and they're, they're, they're like a parent who just like saw their kid, like fall on the playground. Like the minute they got there, it's just like, like we oh. knew this was going to happen eventually, but no one's even had a drink yet. Like what's going on. So ridiculous, but uh, Hey, the Stanley cup is theirs. Uh, dent and all for the Colorado avalanche. Stanley Cup champions of the year 2022. That's going to do it for this Monday edition of the CJ show. CJ, get yourself some sleep, buddy. I, I, I feel for you. you only had three hours. Three hours, and I got to go for my run now. So, oh man, got to keep the run streak alive. So, I'm going to have a run, a shower, and I'll probably in bed at eight o'clock tonight. Okay. So, stick taps coming on Thursday. Uh, thank you to producer Nick, as always, for producing our great show. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and check out all the other great content here on the SDPN channel, whether on YouTube or throughout some of the other podcasts that are put out. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.